I saw myself so selfish compared <laughs> to this man. I, I, I was, I was broken. I was like, Lord, you know, this, this is the the life of the real shepherd. You know, this is the life of, of someone that is uh, aspiring to be a someone who was a pastor who ran well, and until the end, he his spiritual life was was just, you know, he finished well. You know, uh, he. He started good and he finished well. He he died for other people, and I was just, just weeping over that, saying, "Okay, I I need to be like this man." Welcome to a Dulas interview. Today we have Angel Silva, another good brother in Christ who is actually studying to be a pastor, but we're going to dig into his background and find out a little bit more about him. So, Angel, thank you for coming thank on the you. show. Thank you for having me here and my family as well. <laughs> no problem. So, let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up and, you know, what was it like? Where were you born? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was born in Mexico, uh, uh, the state of Jalisco, uh, in, in, a, in a city called Guzman, Ciudad Guzman. Uh, but I was actually brought up in a in a little town called Sayula. Uh, yeah, well, I was brought up over there maybe until I was ten. Then we we came over here. So yeah, I'm from Jalisco, Sayula, Jalisco, Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So what do you miss about living in Mexico, or what don't you miss about living there? Uh, you know what? Um, as I was getting over here, to um, just kind of like thinking of everything that I went through and all the good experiences I. Uh, I was saying my wife and my daughter that I, I miss every Saturday morning. Um, my grandma will get up early. She will cook uh, uh, breakfast for us. And then she will send my uncle, who is my age. And uh, so he's kind of like my uncle slash brother. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, we grew up together. Uh, well, part of that, uh, my childhood, he was with them. So he, she will send us to, to the baker, uh, bakery to buy bread, and, and it was fresh bread. So I, I think that's one of the things I miss the most, you know, mm. uh, every Saturday morning. And then after that, um, so we live with my grandma for a while, and then during that time she will do breakfast. Uh, during that time, my mom will go out of town, out of into the city to, uh, to work uh, and sustain my brother and I, and just to, to make um, some money so, so we can eat. And um, But after she, she came back, then... We moved out from there, and then it was now my mom cooking for us. Mm-hmm. So I, I think breakfast Saturday mornings is is a, a thing that I miss. The uh, Mexico Saturdays mornings that that's something that I miss and look forward to. You know, um, they were fun. <laughs> so for breakfast, is it different than, in Mexico than here in America, where we have pancakes, bacon, sausage, eggs, oh, yeah. stuff? Or what was it? What's a Mexican breakfast like? Uh, Mexican breakfast will be a. Eggs, whatever we we had, really. Uh, mm. uh, times it was leftovers from the previous night. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't we don't waste anything. So <laughs> <laughs> we didn't we didn't we couldn't afford to waste anything. So yeah, it was uh, at times it was uh, 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 leftovers from the previous dinner uh, the night before, or eggs with beans and uh, uh, fresh made salsa, uh, hot sauce mm-hmm. uh, with uh, bread. Uh, you know, it was breakfast because there was fresh bread. I uh, just baked <laughs> bread. Uh, it, yeah, and, and I think that's what I miss the most, bread, you know, okay. it's bread. Uh, uh, yeah, I, um, but, so that's my mom's side. My, my dad's side, uh, I, most of them are bakers. Uh, so part of my life, we grew up in, in a bakery, uh, you know, going every every uh, morning, maybe five, six o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. to the bakery just to check the bakery, how things were going. So the smell of bread is something that uh, attracts me. So whenever I go into a bakery, the smell reminds me of my of my childhood, and so I guess that's what I miss the most. Like the see. smell of bakery. <laughs> Is there anything you don't miss about being in uh, in Mexico? Mm, trying to remember, but uh, I, I don't. You know, I uh, obviously if you don't miss something, it's because you don't remember. You, you know, I, I'm trying to remember what uh, maybe just uh, perhaps uh, bad experiences that we'd had. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with uh, with our family. But besides that, uh, everything seems pretty what I consider normal. We we had a fun childhood, um, so yeah, I, I, I want to know how to what I miss because I really <laughs> I, I can't think of anything I, I missed. Uh, 
the the food, uh, running in the streets with my with our friends. You know, the freedom of. Uh, uh, I think during that time it wasn't as dangerous as it is today. Mm. There was no gangs, no. Uh, uh, cartels running around or anything like that, no drug abuse, uh, the way that uh, uh, that I hear that is now. You mm-hmm. know, uh, my family tells me that there's things are pretty bad, you know, drug abuse and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, me growing up, it was it was fun. It was just, uh, we could be out in the streets up to nine, ten o'clock and it was safe, you mm-hmm. know, and we were, I was maybe eight, nine years old and playing in the streets and there was no no harm or nobody trying to hurt us or no shootouts or anything like that mm-hmm. so uh yeah maybe that you know childhood is just playing around with friends you know it's running around the streets uh, i was able to go to one part of the town to another part of the town without no trouble problem. you know yeah with no problems you know mm-hmm. without anyone giving me drugs or uh, anything like that compared to how it is i think right nowadays so Wow. Yeah, I will say I miss that. Um, okay. So from my understanding, it seems like Mexico is heavily influenced by the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of um, uh, influence based off of the, I'm assuming, missionaries from, you know, early or on in Mexico's history where a lot of Catholic missionaries came and kind of spread Catholic yeah. doctrine. So is that true? Do you, do you see a lot of influence in, in Mexican life regarding the Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, uh, it, it is, you know, uh, we are, uh, it is part of the culture. Uh, you, if you are familiar with, even here, people, uh, Mexicans that are born here, uh, descendant, Mexican descendants that are born here who are called Chicanos, uh, um, even them, you, you see their, uh, their art and somehow there's uh, uh, images of the Virgin Mary, rosaries, crosses all, all those things uh, relates that relates uh, to the catholic uh, church mm-hmm. um specifically uh, my, my town uh, it was divided by major uh, you would call them sanctuaries or uh, cathedrals mm-hmm. uh, and the main streets or neighborhoods that were known it was it was based on on those where those churches were located you know like for instance i was uh, my I grew up part of my uh, life as a child uh, near the what is called the sanctuary or mm-hmm. El Santuario, uh, which translates to the sanctuary. And all that area, you know, uh, uh, was based on, on, on festivals, you know, Catholic festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the year, our year was divided in, in, in those festivals. Uh, every, uh, it will start from maybe March, February, and then it will be a, a a festival in one part of the of the town that he, he had a, a relationship with the cathedral or uh, the church around that a Catholic church. So yeah, uh, and just like my town, there's a town. Uh, there's a lot of towns the same way that are related. Um, their uh, Catholic is so influential that is part of their culture. It's part mm-hmm. of our culture. So mm-hmm. yeah, I will say that it has a big influence. Uh, you know. Uh, Growing up, we, we hold to the belief that there is a God. Uh, but sadly, even uh, we don't know a, a, a merciful God in Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, feel, we pray, we used to, I used to pray and people pray to the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. because we believe that she can relate to us a little more because mm-hmm. uh, she's a mother and, and she, she loves the sons and uh, her daughters. And so she's closer to the son and she can go and tell the son to do something for us. And then the son can go to the father, wow. you know. So, yeah, uh, we are, uh, it is influenced big time, you know. Um, our culture is, is really grounded in, in, in that, in, in Catholicism. So did your parents, influ- was the Roman Catholic influence in your parents strongly enough to pass that on to you or... Did they come into contact with um, true biblical Christianity uh, uh, before you were born or maybe even while you're still living under their household? Yeah, uh, try to remember. Uh, uh, Thinking back of of, um, when I was a child, uh, there are some memories of of other uh, religions, you know, when... 
when we're in Mexico, all you know, the true religion is, is, is Catholics. You know, mm. that's the only church that we know. Uh, and so anything else is just something else. Uh, and, and since I was younger, I, I would consider something else non-Christian. I didn't even know what Christian was. I just considered it not Catholic. Mm. And if it wasn't Catholic, then it wasn't good. Mm. So uh, I know there was Jehovah Witnesses, there was Mormons and... Perhaps there was little uh, Christian churches that I don't remember much of because uh, they told us to stay away from those people, mm. you know. Uh, so maybe uh, trying to think of my mom and my dad, if they got uh, some type of uh, uh, interaction with any of, of uh, Christians growing up, I don't remember. They never mentioned anything like that. Uh, we grew up. Since I can remember, all my families are Catholics. You know, mm. my great grandma, my great grandma, and my grandma, my my mom. Wow. They were my mom and my grandma were. Uh, so yeah, all I, that's all I knew. Yeah. Uh, we actually, uh, me personally, I, I run into Christianity when we came to the U.S. and that was at the age of fifteen. So yeah, I, I, and that, I was still living under my mom's. Uh, uh, my my parents' roof, so that would be the uh, time we we all as a family kind of like discover Christianity. Okay, uh, and that's when my mom got saved when when I was fifteen. I want to ask you about that in just a second, but I want to get back to when you first moved here. You said you were fifteen. You moved to America. At no, I was oh. ten. I you were was 10, ten when you first yeah, moved when, here. When I okay, moved fifteen here. when you or your mom got saved. When got yeah, when we got saved, then we uh, discovered Christianity. Okay, so yeah. you were so you were ten years old when you came to America. Did yeah. when you first came was there. Um, what was surprising about the differences between America and, and, and Mexico, or was there something that stood out to you strongly when you first, uh, you know, became exposed to a new country? Yeah, um, the city. You know, uh, Mexico has a lot of uh, a lot of the movies and shows that they play here. They just translate them in Spanish and they play over there. So. What we knew of the of America was just uh, what we watched on TV. Mm. So when we got here, we arrived to LA, Los Angeles, uh, and uh, it, it was uh, it was at night. So the lights, you know, the tall buildings that was that was exciting. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I remember watching the Ninja Turtles when I was small, then <laughs> and then running under the. Uh, uh, under the city underground and and then popping up through those uh, uh, tunnels and all that, uh, you know, I remember that and I was like, wow, I'm here, you know, I mm-hmm. probably will see something like that, you know, something <laughs> crazy. So yeah, it, it was it was a great experience. Yeah, we loved it. Uh, my brother and I we were excited to see tall buildings. Uh, uh, I, I remember my mom being, uh, she was scared, she was mm. afraid. I I, I can tell on her face. Uh, she was fearful of a new country, new language, uh, uh, different uh, traditions, different stuff. Uh, she didn't know what will, what the future held for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my and I, we were excited. We were just really fascinated with the buildings. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said, or I know talking beforehand, uh, you said as a young man, you would get into fights a lot and you would struggle in school as far as even not even going to school yeah. and uh and that was here in in, a, in the states right yeah that was here so during that time of your life you weren't saved at the time right Mm-mm. no so i wasn't saved. What, what was going through your mind what what why do you think you were so violent i guess yeah yeah we were uh uh, my uh, my wife and I were talking about that, and, and she asked, like, well, "What was it? Were you angry at that time?" And uh, you know, when I got here, uh, like I said, I was excited to be in a new country, and mm-hmm. and I thought it would be a good experience. Uh, that was until I started going to school. So I finished up uh, sixth grade uh, uh, here in the in 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 the U.S. and. Uh, I made friends. Uh, friends, uh, they were excited to have someone new, and they were really friendly. They mm-hmm. wanted to be my friends, and uh, I needed a translator, so they would translate for me and all that. Uh, well, that stopped when I got to seventh grade. Uh, in seventh grade, uh, the people that were supposed to help me just started bullying me. So instead mm-hmm. of translating for me, my own people mm-hmm. uh they started bullying me because i didn't know english wow. and so yeah that made it that made it hard and uh uh 
you know, uh, to a point that I didn't want to go to school anymore. I wanted to stay home. And mm. uh, things are different over here. If you, In California, if you don't go to school, they, they either give a ticket or a warning to, your mo- uh, to the parents. Mm. And then they can end up, uh, I think, in jail or something like that. But they do. It's not like in Oklahoma, you know, that you can say, oh, well, my child is uh, being homeschooled or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so... I didn't want to go to school. I was being bullied. I didn't want to go to school. I told my mom. My mom said, we can't do anything. Uh, my mom was working and homeschooling for us was, uh, we didn't know it existed. So we're like, my mom was like, you need to go to school or else I can end up in jail. So she was afraid of going to jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, she couldn't stop working because she was the one uh, providing for our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad wasn't doing that that good during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so... Yeah, so so that uh, I, I was in a way forced to go to school. That so every every day, uh, I don't know for how many months I got bullied, uh, and I was just angry until like exploded. Uh, yeah. I, um, I I think I tried to stop the guys from it, it was two guys from bullying me, and yeah. uh, and um, so I tried to stop them, and you know it, it only made things worse. You know, yeah. I, I don't remember fighting with them, so. Uh, but I do remember one of them leaving, and the other one was left alone. So once the other ones, the other one left, one of them left the school. The other guy uh, just kind of like, you know, became more try to be my friend. Now mm-hmm. I guess he he thought well, if I get in a fight or something, I, I don't know what. But uh, yeah, so so that was during the seventh grade. Um, in eighth grade, that's when when. Um, I, I try to remember what made me kind of like turn on the violent mode. You know, mm-hmm. I maybe my my cousins uh, influenced me a lot. They were born here. They uh, uh, they were uh, they had friends in in gangs and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they they kind of influenced me to defend myself. Um, also started listening to rap music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know uh, the the whole don't let people tell you what to do and stuff. So, yeah, so during that time, I think that that's when, when I turned on the violent, uh, you know, started little by little, just kind of like uh, drifting into violence. And then uh, uh, one day I do remember particularly uh, that uh, I, I was going through a, um, in the middle of a basketball game, uh, there were some kids playing basketball, um, mm-hmm. uh, some other people playing basketball. And then uh, one of them tried to stop me or he said something to me, I don't remember, and um uh, uh, I wear glasses, so I couldn't see what he was doing. So I think I was just looking at him bad or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, so so he he came towards me, and I responded with uh, with um, punches. You know, I just wow. I, I thought he was gonna do something to me, and you know, being bullied in the past, uh, I was like, You're I need a def- defensive, I, yeah, defensive mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and then from there, you just went downhill. Uh, wow. Yeah, from there, I. I got suspended three days. For me, it was like a small vacation. It was like, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I get to go home, you know. <laughs> so that was that, that was in eighth grade. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I was home, and then uh, uh, that uh, kind of it, it was right in the it, it was during recess and right in the middle of the field. So the whole school saw most wow. of them, not the whole school. That's no, exaggeration, but a lot of people saw. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they kind of started building a reputation of. Uh, me being um, a fighter and mm. uh, I, I knew how to draw so uh, I started um, again my, my my cousins they were uh, they were familiar with graffiti and and, and crews and gangs and all that mm-hmm. so I wanted to imitate what they were doing the whole tagging stuff so I started doing tagging on, on my notebook and mm. paper and so people start in, in my school people started seeing that. So I was able to to draw and, and do tagging, and that kind of like uh, gave me more of a, a, a the wrong. Um, uh, I, I became a little the wrong fame, you know. It was just more of a oh maybe he's from a gang or he's from somewhere. But I, during that time, I was just uh, by myself, my mm-hmm. brother and I, and a few more two older friends. So that that that's in eighth grade. Uh, when I moved to ninth grade. It, it, it was the same role, you know, used uh, following the same steps. I, I met more friends over there, and uh, but I had the same mentality. Uh, not not by then, I, th- uh, I mean, 
I, I had already determined in my mind that I wasn't gonna let anyone do anything to me. Mm. You know, I, I don't care who it is, and I'm not gonna let them even look at me the wrong way. You know, wow. or tell me anything. Uh, and and again, influenced by cousins and maybe even movies. You know, so that's what kind of got me into into. So it that. sounds like it was a combination of being bullied in sixth grade and seventh grade, and then. Mm. Especially by people that were supposed to be helping yeah. you and, you know, trying to help you assimilate and, and translate for you and things like that. So it sounds like that kind of bullying just combined with the music and the, the, the friends and gangs. And, you know, the Bible talks about how evil communications corrupts good manners or some other translations say bad company corrupts good morals. Mm-hmm. So the more you're around and sharing in those kinds of things, the more mm-hmm. it's going to influence you to start acting out in those kind of ways. And then you said on top of that, your dad probably wasn't... Um, training you during that time how to be a man how to Uh control your emotions and control your feelings humble yourself things like that so that that's that could be definitely a very difficult circumstance Mm -hmm. but the good news is that you did hear the good news you heard the gospel sometimes so tell us about how you came to to hear the gospel and how how you got saved yeah um how did i hear the gospel i you know the first time i i i heard the uh Part of the gospel um, uh, was when um, two of my best friends get shot. This is after mm. I get in the gang. Two of my best friends get shot. Okay, uh, so you had joined the gang at this I, point. I, yeah, I, when I was 15, 14, I, 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 that was in ninth grade. Yeah, uh, when I was 15, 14, um, the reputation grew mm-hmm. and, um, uh, of me fighting even more. When I got to high school, I was fighting even more. So that reputation grew, and then sooner or later, the... Where I lived, the local gang wanted me to be part of them, and mm. they were just reclu- uh, recruiting uh, younger persons, uh, 14, 13. And so I, I, I get in one, and, and um, uh, two of uh, the, same, the same year I get in one, I, uh, that was during my summer break. Uh, you know, I, I, we go back to high school now in part of a gang. Uh, when I say we, is uh, my friends and I. Uh, and, and in the same year, my best friend, one of my best friends, get, uh, two of them get shot and one of, one of them dies. Wow. Uh, that was in December, uh, right after his birthday. Hmm. Uh, and, and how old was he? So he was uh, like 14, He 15? was 14, 15. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he was 14, 15. He gets shot. He, he, um, he passed away. My mom is afraid. Uh, she's a, she's scared that it, the same thing will happen to me and my brother, mm-hmm. uh, to me or my brother. Uh, so what she does, she starts looking for help. Uh, whatever mom will do, mm-hmm. right? She starts looking for help, and and um, she she can't find help in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So she somehow she got connected with a uh, Christian worker that with the Christian co-worker that was working with my uncle. And uh, he invites her to church. He invites him to church, but he doesn't want to go. So he tells my mom to go. <laughs> and then my mom ends up going and, and she, she becomes a believer. Wow. She, she becomes a believer since then. Uh, yeah, it, it, I was 15. She becomes a believer. She wants to help her sons and uh, she starts taking us to, to church. Uh, as we go to church, I, uh, I was... I, I think I was a I was a Catholic, you know. I I, I, I like the whole new uh, um, the fact that they offer a new beginning for you, you know, like start fresh. You know, mm-hmm. you can start fresh. I like that part, but I just didn't like the part that you couldn't pray to the Virgin Mary or to mm. the saints or any. You know, I, that's how much Catholic influenced my own life. Yeah. So. We, we start going, we hear the gospel, and I thought I was saved. You know, I, um, after a while, I stopped praying to the Virgin Mary. I, 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 um, my, one of my, the youth pastor, uh, uh, he, want, he wanted his church to grow. Uh, and at, during that time, he gets kicked out of the church as well, that we were going for some issues that I, I do not know what mm. was going on. But he, they told him, you know, you should go, or you should go and start your own church. Mm. So he tells me, you know, uh, invite your friends. Uh, by then, I had a, a, a friends that were in the same uh, place that I was. So he tells me, you know, invite your invite your friends. I'll, if you if you bring a lot of your friends, 
if you bring uh, at least 10 people, then uh, I'll cook for you guys hamburgers you know, or something like that. <laughs> okay. So I was like, it's okay. Good incentive. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I'm like, okay, I, I'll tell maybe a few of them and that's it. Well, word got around. I told a few of my friends, maybe just three or four. I told them, yeah, you know, just tell someone else and yeah, we'll go and we'll just, you know, we used to use the word kick it. We'll kick it over <laughs> there. We'll chill over there. Yeah. Yeah, well, word got around by, we used to meet up every Friday. Uh, by the time we met up, uh, there were 40 people. Oh, my <laughs> 40 people, wow. yeah. I, I remember the poor youth pastor's face. <laughs> he was just like, wow, where am I going to get all the meat? You yeah. know, uh, so, yeah. And, and um, I, I think during that time, just the fact that we were, uh, the pastor was pouring, uh, the youth pastor was pouring his we were meeting at his house. He didn't have a church yet, a, a church building. We were meeting at his house, and just how he was pouring his, his he actually cared for us. Yeah. You know, uh, he didn't know uh, he was Pentecostal, he so he didn't know much theology, but he had a passion for youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to. Uh, he was he's from uh, El Salvador, so he be growing up in a civil war and all that violent as well. Mm-hmm. He wanted to rescue as much as he could, mm-hmm. you know. So so he poured out his life for us, and and mm-hmm. I think to us that was uh, the first encounter of Christ. Really used uh, someone that had a Christ attitude like uh, type, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that kind of like uh, that got uh, some of my friends' attention too. You know, they 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 wanted um, during that time the my friend that that got killed. It wasn't only my friend, but he was friend of of many people. Of most of those forty people that, mm, that showed wow. up, he was a friend of them. Mm. So it impacted their lives as well. So you know, when when this pastor comes and he offers a new life and new hope, you know, uh, to a whole bunch of hopeless people, you know, <laughs> we want to do, we want to be there. We want to hear, okay, tell us about this Christ or tell mm. us about this Jesus, you know. And uh, and then the whole, uh, if you are somewhat familiar, which you are with pe- Pentecostalism, uh, they focus a lot on feelings and make you feel better. And, and they don't address sin. They you say that it's... the way you are is because of your past and stuff like that so they want to give you a type of relief and 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 all that so i i think they us going there made us feel good for a while you know so that's the first part uh first time i encountered christianity but i wasn't saved Uh, i was just going there Hmm. um that that pastor wanted me to be kind of like a, a youth leader Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he's uh, maybe the influence I had on, on, on my friends and um, he wanted me to be a youth leader uh, so he knew that wherever I will go they will follow those my friends uh, so he started involving me with the elders of the of the of that church with the leaders of the church uh, going to Bible studies and all that mm-hmm. um, and during that time, I was sixteen. I was sixteen, I think. Uh, I was prideful, and just you know the fame and the fact of yeah, you know I'm I'm a leader and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, uh, kind of, uh, I was somewhat familiar with the with um, uh, what happened with the Apostle Paul. You know how God changed his life and he became a, a, a missionary and all that, a pastor. So I was like, oh, maybe I can be a pastor. You know. <laughs> uh, but I had the wrong, uh, the wrong motivations. Yeah. I had the wrong uh, perspective of what a, a pastor is or what a, a, uh, even the gospel was. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, uh, I started going. And, and to me, I thought to my... During that time, they would bring a lot of uh, people who were ex-gang me- uh, members. And, uh, and their testimony was powerful uh, you know so the, instead of preaching the gospel they will tell you their story mm. and then uh, at the end they, they will tell you, you know jesus loves you and he wants the same for you so it was a lot of emotion going on so i'm i'm 15 i'm 16 and i'm thinking well i don't have a strong testimony like they you know they mm-hmm. they went to jail they've been in jail they've been in in um 
I don't know, they committed a lot of crimes and I'm over here, you know, just all I've done is get in a gang, that's it, you know, I need to go and build my <laughs> my resume or something. Like that. Go build your, your go, sinful resume yeah, to have a better testimony. Yeah, yeah, so I can have a good testimony, you yeah. know, something to talk about. So, yeah, you know, that's what I did. I I, I walked away from the church. Yeah. I, I walked away. I, I stopped going to to church. I, um, yeah, I... Yeah, the Lord uh, taught me a lesson. I, you know, <laughs> I, I think about it every now and then. I was like, I should have stayed. You know, mm. my heart would have been, even though it was the wrong doctrines going on, I know the Lord would refrain me from committing a lot of sins. Like I said, I had the wrong perspective of sin, the wrong perspective of God, the wrong perspective of Christianity and the gospel. So that's why I decided to go and do my own thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I did, I uh, ended up in boot camp. Uh, I, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff happened during that time. I got, uh, uh, ended up a, a drug addict, hmm. uh, as a drug addict. And then finally, when I became safe, I was uh, towards the end of my 18 years. Uh, 18 years. Yeah, 18 years. Uh, so from, I was 16 to 18, the Lord protected me. But uh, yeah, just my my way of thinking was different. It was more violent. It was I, I got involved with different people, so uh, it was more violent. It was more uh, now it was uh, uh, drug addiction that I had and all those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, uh, and I was doing tattoos by then. So I was just living off the money I was making for tattoos. It was just going to drugs. Wow, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was it was a night. I remember I was. Uh, I will, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I had uh, I had finished doing the tattoo, and um, and I went outside to smoke a cigarette. and And I was looking at my hands; they were all uh, uh, filled with uh, uh, somehow the the glove that I used for tattoo had ripped, and a little bit of the ink went on my hands and my fingers, and mm. they were stained with ink. And then uh, uh, I had the cigarette on my hand, and then. Kept looking up to the to the sky and then looking at the cigarette and I was like, man, that's it, you know, this is life. You mm. know, the rest of my life is this. Just wow. a drug addict and a tattoo artist, you know. If 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 the drugs won't stop me, you know. And so I stopped and somehow was just uh, within me. Something just told me, you know, uh, something within me just said, God, just make a stop. Mm. Do whatever you have to do, make a stop. You know, just uh, I don't want this. Wow. Uh, I, I don't want this. I was so used to it, but then I didn't know how to stop. I, I couldn't stop anymore. And um, yeah, that was in, uh, in the, in the, at the last week of February, and then it was Mother's Day. Uh, I get arrested. I get arrested. I, 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 I was going to go to a party to do a, a section, tattoo section. It was a tattoo party, they called them, mm. uh, where I was just there. <clears throat> Just tattooing people as they will go. Uh, I was about to go there. Um, my mom tells me, don't go. It was Mother's Day. She, she tells me, don't go. Just go to sleep. And I'm thinking, no, there's going to be drugs over there. Just gonna, I, I need to go. You know? And I told her, no, just don't worry. You know, I'll go and then come back later. I'm leaving. Uh, we used to live in some apartment complex. She's speaking out of the balcony. And somehow I just go back and, and I give her a kiss. I, 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 I never done that, I, you know, through, I was so hostile to my family. I, mm. I, you know, I will disappear for weeks, days, wow. and then go back. Uh, I, so I, I built this anger towards my family and carelessness that uh, I will see my mom cry and wouldn't care. But that night, though, I, I went back and, and I gave her a kiss and I told her, don't worry, I'll be, I'll be back later. Hmm. I leave, uh, we get stopped by the police, we, um, I guess, since we get arrested, uh, uh, the guy that I'm with, he has, uh, he's in a stolen car, I, I didn't oh, know that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he told me that, he told me that it was, a fr- it, it looks like, it, it looked like a woman's car, you know, mm. and he, he, so he tells me it's, it's her, uh, his friend that he led, uh, him, uh, she let him borrow it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I don't care. I'm just like, just, just go do what we have to do, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a bag in the a backpack in in the back seat, and 
I don't, I didn't ask anything. We get pulled over by the car, uh, by the police. Uh, Indeed, uh, he starts worrying about it. And he's, you know, just starts sweating and tells me, oh, that's it. I'm like, uh. oh, don't worry about it. We're going to be good. It's like, no, no, you don't get it. I'm like, what? Just tell them it's your friend's car. You know, to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, not not that. You know, the the backpack. He's in the backpack. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I have I have drugs. I, ha- I have a scale and I have baggies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so possession of selling. Mm-hmm. I I was like, oh man, that's that's it. Yeah, and yeah. He uh, we get arrested. They they go through the backpack. They find all that. The car stolen. Uh, they take us both in. Um, and I was in jail for about a month. Um, I get released. I go to a hotel room, um, and you know I'm I'm just there wondering, uh, you know, just there uh, thinking of my life. Du- during the whole time I'm in jail, actually, it, it helped to clean the drugs, hmm. you know, uh, from your get them, get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two weeks in jail was hard because uh, you, your drug the drugs are going out. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sweating. I have fever. I have all these things. Wow. Uh, so so I finally get released. Get, end up in, in a hotel room. I'm in this hotel room, and you know I'm I'm, I'm still thinking of myself. Like you know that's I, I don't. Uh, God, I want this to change. I I don't want this. You know I'm just looking. At, and then at the same time, I'm I'm looking for money to see if I can buy drugs <laughs> in the hotel room. Wow. So I'm looking, uh, <clears throat> and I open one of the drawers, and, and there's a Gideon Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with mm, the Gideon, Gideon movement. Yeah. Uh, so there's a Gideon Bible. I, I picked it up. I throw it in the bed, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go out. I just, you know, I'm just going to stay here. And then I looked at the Bible. I picked it up. I opened it randomly, you know, that's the way they taught me how to read the Bible. When God, if you want God to speak to you, they told me, open it and just pray and open it and then just start reading. Hmm. Um, that's how they taught me how to do devotional time. The Catholic? No, the, uh, the Pentecostal. Oh, the remember? Pentecostal. Yeah, okay. when I was 15, 16, going to church, that's okay. how they taught me to read the wow. Bible. <laughs> so I did, I opened it and then <clears throat> I, I started reading on Romans 8, hmm. verse 20, uh, 25. Uh, speaking about hope and um and I'm, I'm reading there and i'm like what is he talking about <laughs> you know so i start i go back a few verses and I start reading on verse 18 about creation being subject to all that and something is just i just inwardly i feel god talking to me like directly and kind of just just softening my heart and and as i keep reading i get to verse 28 29 when it's Talking about those who he called, he predestined, and he called to be conformed to the image of God. I start mm-hmm. breaking. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can say I start breaking in tears, wow. asking for forgiveness. And uh, I, I, I read uh, for uh, those who love God, uh, everything will work for good. And mm-hmm. I'm just reading and I'm weeping and I'm crying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, you know, just just do whatever you got to do. I, I, I don't want to go back to all this. Wow. Uh, that's when I believe I got saved. Uh, 18 years. 18. Wow. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I did get saved. Uh, turned, I turned 19, uh, went back home. Uh, my family, I didn't want to do anything else but read the Bible. Uh, <laughs> I remember I, 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 I literally devoured the Bible. I, I spent, from the moment I got up to the moment I went to sleep, I wanted to read the Bible. Wow. I wanted to read the Bible, and, and I just read through it. I, I kept reading through it, and um, I just wanted to know more about Christ. I wanted to know more. Uh, I, I I remember one of my prayers when I got saved. I said, Lord, um, I want this time to be different. When mm-hmm. I was 15, 16, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't uh, I heard about being several truths. I want to know the truth. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to tell me the truth. I want to fall in love with Christ. I want to love Jesus. I want I want to follow him. And um and yeah, it was just this desire to to pray and this desire to just be um, uh, be in the word, read the word, um, uh, just know what was there. And I wanted, and it was this hunger for the truth. I wanted to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so so that's when I got saved. That brings up another question I wanted to ask because you talked about how at sixteen you looked like a leader. The pastor looked at you and mm-hmm. saw you that you were pretty influential. People would yeah. follow you and. He put you into 
um, a leadership role, or at least are trying to get you involved with mm -hmm. the elders at Bible studies, but you still have the wrong motivations. You weren't born again, yeah. but you were still involved in leadership. And um, But now, 18, you truly got born again. You understood your sin. You wanted forgiveness. You wanted to love Christ. You wanted to love his word and devour it. So now that after you got saved, recently you've been studying to be a pastor at the <laughs> Master's Seminary. And uh, one of the qualifications in First Timothy 3, which has a list of qualifications for elders, it talks about how you shouldn't be a novice. And um, I just wanted to ask you, what um, do you think it's, that may be one of the major problems with people who are rushing to be a pastor where they're not, they're, they're new baby Christians or they're not even Christians at all. They just look like they have the qualification. They look like mm -hmm. they, they like their, they can lead people and all of a sudden people want to voice the responsibility. Hey, you should be a pastor mm -hmm. instead of doing the, the due diligence of, of uh, making sure this guy's qualified and actually knows the gospel. So could you, could you talk about your desire to be a pastor and the importance of getting right qualifications to, before putting people into into leadership, uh, yeah, um, yeah, no, that that is a major problem, I think, in um, several churches. Uh, um, you know, you, I think, Vadivakam, uh, he mentions about uh, how the church nowadays, many churches nowadays, they they see a a, a young person, a young man, <clears throat> passionate about uh, scripture, pat. Uh, passionate about church history and all that, and uh, they uh, many of the elder uh, older people they say, you know, young man, you're gonna be a pastor, you know, which um, many times is just you know part of being a Christian. You know, when when you become a Christian, you want to know more about the truth. You want to know more about uh, who Christ is, and then you hear about people like John Calvin, uh, uh, Eric Liddell, and uh, Liddell. Um, Little, I'm sorry, um, Martin Luther, all these people, and you want to know more about them, and then you start discovering church history, and you want to know more about that. So it's just a, a, a passion that is within you that you just want to know more about your faith, and it's normal, you know. Uh, um, so the mistake of uh, many times which I, I see in my life clear and I see in, in other people's life is that, that the uh, older people, they see a passion on, on, on someone and, and maybe a type of uh, leadership or just uh, uh, something different uh, on that person. And then they, they right away encourage them to go into, uh, into the ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but that person still needs to grow. That, that person needs to mature. Uh, that person needs to know who they are in Christ and know the gospel, know who Christ is. And, and so... Um, yeah, there's uh, um, when uh, at first uh, when I became a believer, I, I toy around with wanting to be a pastor. I, I said, you know, I, I want to be a pastor. But then I remember how I was when I was 15 and what I did when I was 15. And I said, you know, I... I want to make sure that it is the right motive. So I was, uh, I, I prayed uh, for ma many times. I pray that was my prayer, Lord. If, if if this is you, please help me. If you're calling me, you know, just uh, I don't know. Give me a sign, you know. Tell someone or something, you know. Send someone to tell me that. And uh, so I, I struggle uh, with that uh, during my. Uh, um, my uh, early Christian days. Mm -hmm. um, I I wanted to, uh, at the same time, I wanted to know more of the Bible and, and, and the Lord was growing me. Uh, the Lord was growing me. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that is, that, that is a big, huge mistake. You know, that, uh, uh, there is, uh, for a reason, the Lord gave qualifications in the, in, in the scripture mm -hmm. for what an elder or those who aspire to be an elder should be. And for a reason, they are so high. Uh, uh, the standard is so high, I, I mean, uh, because as, as a, the more I study what an elder is, a pastor is, uh, you realize that, that you are to be an example to the, to the rest of the flock. And, and there's not only you getting up in the pulpit and, 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 and doing a great uh, sermon, but it, it involves you living well and you... Uh, 
being an example to the rest of the of the people and and then the more james comes to my mind that many times we don't think uh, the book of james comes to my mind that we don't think that we are going to be judged more strictly so those people who encourage other uh, the older people who encourage young people who young men who who are even women <laughs> in different churches who encourage them to take a role of of uh, uh, ministry they don't see, they don't think wisely in the fact that those people are going to be judged mm-hmm. according to what they think uh, what they they are also driven by passion then um, they they by feelings they see someone different they say you know you, you should go ahead and do it uh, so yeah that 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 is that i think that is the wrong motivation um, every christian should have that uh, desire to grow in, in in biblical knowledge in theology in, mm-hmm. in church history you know um every uh, that's normal for everyone yeah and it sounds like and i think that's an excellent point that you make because as Christians, we should want to read the Bible. We should want to know more of who Christ is. And we should want to know more theology because theology just simply means the study of God. And God is our Savior, our Lord, mm-hmm. you know, our King, our Provider, our everything. You know, mm-hmm. and Paul talks about how Christ is our life. Mm-hmm. And so we should want to desire to have, we should have the desire to read the Word of God, to study it, to, to memorize it, to mm-hmm. and conform our lives to it. Not just like, um, like James talks about, don't just be a hearer, but a doer of the Word, mm-hmm. also deceiving yourself. So I think that's a good point that you make because every it, sh- it should be a normal thing for a Christian mm-hmm. to desire to study the Bible, read the Bible, and and grow in it and grow in his or her knowledge of it. But that doesn't automatically mean that everybody should be a pastor. You know that that yeah. should automatically mean that everybody who has that desire ought to get into leadership because we don't. Not everybody should be a pastor. We do need yeah. members. We do need people that will serve. We do need people that can be deacons and and elders and counselors in the church yeah. as well. But I want to take a moment to read First Timothy three one through seven to talk about the requirements and then i would ask you just to pull out one that you are um that you see as very important as far as personally speaking like one that you see in yourself or one that you think you need to grow in to continue to as you continue your studies which one which qualification do you think you need to work on more in your life and talk about that development going on so let me read these seven verses real quick so first Timothy three one through seven it says this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop he desireth the good work a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So Paul lists, in just in those seven verses, like about 15 or 16 qualifications uh, about being a pastor. So which one of those do you look at and say, you know, that's that's one that I um, would like to grow in? And, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, um, all of them are, are important. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them, um, if you see the pulpits nowadays, uh, the more popular churches, uh, the mega churches, uh, uh, prosperity gospel, they lack most of <laughs> most of the uh, most of the uh, qualifications. Uh, but I think the one that summarizes the most and, and the aim that I pursue after is blamelessness. Hmm. Um, there is a People outside only see what's outside. Um, when I'm going to church, you guys see me smiling, welcoming people, but you don't know what I did at my house, if I did anything wrong, if I mistreated my wife, if I mistreated my daughter. Uh, not that I'm doing that, mm-hmm. but uh, you only see the appearance of, of what I, I show uh, to be blameless, I think it summarizes all the whole, the entire list. Mm. Uh, to be blameless is not only to be blameless before man, but also blameless before God. Now, how do you reconcile being blameless, knowing that we all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God? Mm. Well, the way I see it is that 
or you, that you live in constant repentance. You acknowledge your sins constantly. You come before Christ and, and you, you pursue after, uh, you, you repent from your sins, you, you acknowledge your sins, you, you know where you fall short, you come to Christ, you repent constantly daily, and then you pursue after holiness. And, and uh, I think blamelessness is to, uh, the word will um, summarize the, the fact that, you know, you, you're constantly pursuing after being more Christ-like. Um, the way, uh, and, and he's a great example of what a shepherd, what a, a minister, a pastor should be. Uh, he's a, he knew how to teach and expand the word of God. He knew how to apply it to his life. He's a great role model of what a shepherd is. So when you pursue after Christ, it's not only pursuing a, a, the way he thought, but it's also a, a, the way he lived. So uh, blameless for me will be a, a um, will summarize all that, and, and it's something that I know that most of the time I I, I, I need to grow more. Um, <clears throat> meaning, um, uh, I, I need to pursue more after being more like Christ. Uh, uh, there's uh, times that uh, I'm caught off guard and, and I do something and I'm like, what do I do? And, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, there's uh, certain failures that I, I experience in my life um, that I'm like, man, I can't believe uh, this happened to me right now when I'm in the middle of seminary and, and exposed to the Word of God uh, all day long. You know why? Uh but it is just the fact that at times we put our guards down, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we don't think about pursuing after Christ or after that holiness <clears> that, <throat> uh, that the Lord and the, the, and the apostles encourage us to pursue after. So uh, blameless. Blamelessness. That, blamelessness. That's very important. And I think that's one of those that you you just kind of overlook because it's one of the first in the list, but it's also mm-hmm. one of those that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. But mm-hmm. like you said, we have to be on guard all the time mm-hmm. and that's why peter wrote to us telling us be sober be vigilant because your devil because because the devil and as an adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour so yes. we have to be on guard and you know and even the old testament god told cain sin is crouching at the door and it's yes. and its goal is to have you but you must master it so it's a constant battle mm-hmm. that men have to fight especially men in pastoral ministry where people yeah. are looking to you looking to your leadership and and looking for you to live that blameless lifestyle because you will be held to that standard, as you mentioned in James, where it says, be not many masters for such shall receive the greater condemnation. Mm-hmm. So you guys will be held to a higher standard of judgment um, yeah. on on that day. And that's a, another thing that Paul Washer talked about. He says he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't fear for the atheist. He doesn't fear for the, the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness or the Muslim or, you know, some false, um, false religionists. He, he fears for the pastors because you're going to have to give an account to what you have done with Christ Church. Did you adhere to his prescriptions or did you go about making your own prescription for for your church? But um, could you talk a little bit more, and I I know you've already kind of mentioned it, but the gravity of being a pastor, because I was like you when I first got saved, oh man, I want to be a pastor. But the more I started learning, the more I started understanding the responsibility and the duty of being a pastor. I remember hearing a story from um, Josh Bice. He's the president of G3 Mm -hmm. Ministries, and but he's a pastor up in uh, Georgia in Praise Mills. I think it's Praise Mill Baptist Church. But he said when he goes to a funeral, he likes to take a few moments aside. When uh, when uh, when a member of his church dies, he likes to go to the casket, put his hand on the casket, and think to himself, "Lord, did I do everything to make sure that this soul knew Christ? Did I do everything to make sure that he believed in your gospel and believed um, and had his sins cleansed? Because this person's dead. You know, they're either in heaven or they're in hell." And they were under his leadership, under your leadership as a mm-hmm. pastor. So could you talk about the, just the seriousness and the gravity of dealing with the souls of men and women who will die and have to face God yeah. on, on Judgment Day? Yeah, uh, you know, I you, you, you start, uh, the call to, uh, to, to being a pastor starts there. You know, um, you have a, a special affection towards the um, the lost, you know, you want people to know Christ because you, you understand that that's the only, that that is the only way to to the Father. Uh, you, the more you think of uh, people who are not saved and your loved ones, the more you um, grow in sorrow for them because you want them to be saved. 
and at the same time I, I, I recognize in my life when uh, when I was um, when I started deciding to be a pastor I didn't know the, the weight of it until I started uh, I, I was somewhat familiar that, that you know you ought to care for the church you ought to feed them uh, uh, good doctrine good sound doctrine make sure you give them the whole counsel of God don't reframe anything uh, from them you, you know it really depends on you in a way for the, how much they get fed and then not only that but to show them where the food is so when they go home they can go and, and, and eat themselves which is the spiritual food uh, and so in a way I kind of knew that uh, that it was really important that standard as I started studying more um, I realized how important it is. It is much more than just preparing a good sermon. It is much more than just um, showing yourself every Sunday looking sharp and and giving a great sermon and people come in and give you a, a high five and tell you, you know, I really enjoy your sermon. You know, it, it is more than that. It is uh, uh, spending a lot of the times uh, on your knees praying for the people who you're going to... Uh, um, preach to you know many times you don't think of them as pastors you you know you so focus at times on the verse that you're not thinking of perhaps someone that I'm that might be going through through some type of struggle mm -hmm. you know and or at times you're not thinking that there might be a new uh, someone new in the church who's not even a believer and what if that's the only time he's gonna or she's gonna have uh, uh, the privilege to sit under uh, uh, Christ, you know, uh, under uh, and listen to who Christ is or the gospel, you know. Mm -hmm. Many times we uh, we tend to focus so much on the academics, on the getting preparation of the sermons that we we don't pray of them. Uh, I mean, on uh, we don't pray to, uh, um, for the church, um, and that's what I'm I'm learning. You know, I'm learning to to feel for the church. You know, to have a to weep with those who weep, uh, who sorrow for their sin. If, if there's any sin going on in the church or hear of anyone walking away from God instead of being a uh, legalist, uh, going judging people, uh, actually break for them, mm -hmm. you know, for the fact that they're so close to Christ and they're rejecting that, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm learning that I'm... Um, uh, I'm learning to 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 be that way. Uh, there, uh, I just finished reading a biography of. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Chariots on Fire, uh, Eric Liddell, uh, so. Liddell, uh, L I D D E L L. Uh, that's uh, <clears throat> it was a runner. Uh, he ran in the Olympics. Uh, his life takes place around 1900s to 1945 when he passed away. He was he was born in 19. 05 died uh, 1945. Uh, oh, wow. uh, used a, a, a short life, but it was well lived. Mm. He was a medalist. He was a runner. He ran well in the track, but he ran best in the spiritual life. Mm. He, uh, you know, the he he gave up his career as a runner to go as a missionary in China during the time that. People were being persecuted. He ends up in a in a concentration concentration camp. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, he dies, but throughout uh, and, and away from his family, he sends okay. his family. The, his family is with him in China. He sends them away to Canada to protect them, and he stays there, mm -hmm. saying, "You know, I I need to finish what the Lord called me to do." You know, to us, that's kind of like. Wait a minute. Who's gonna take care of your wife and your three daughters, uh, mm. two daughters, and one on the way? Wow. Uh, but his priority was: I need to finish the race that the Lord called me to do. His devotion was to his Savior, mm. and uh, and me thinking of of that life, uh, of his life. He even in camp, he was so selfless. You know, he's. Favorite uh, passages of the Bible was the Sermon of the Mount by uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes, and he made sure that he he would live them daily, mm. you know, and 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 
even in the camp he made an impact by his christianity he made an impact in the in his career as a runner because mm -hmm. he refused to run on 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 the sabbath on, on not on the sabbath on the lord's day on a sunday okay. uh, so he with that he got pretty famous uh but then his so his devotion to christ during his um uh, athletic days and then also his devotion during him being a prisoner in camp uh, people loved them through him. A lot of people were touched. A lot of uh, survivors from the camp who were uh, kids at that time, they remember him. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, <clears throat> served the people. He taught the people the word of God. He uh, His devotion was so selfless. And so, um, uh, that you know, the, the biography was so good at the end, I, I cried. You know, wow. I, I cried over, over this man. Not so much because I was sad that he passed away the way he died, but because I saw myself so selfish compared <laughs> to this man. I, I, I was I was broken. I was like, Lord, you know this this is the the life of the real shepherd. You know this is the life of of someone that is uh, aspiring to be a someone who was a pastor who ran well, and until the end, he his spiritual life was was just. You know, he finished well, you know, uh, he he started good and he finished well. He he died for other people. And I was just, just weeping over that, saying, Lord, I, I, I need to be like this man, you know. And, and um, uh, at the same time, uh, um, uh, uh, before I read that biography, there was another, uh, bio not biography, but a made-up uh, story of, uh, of Elmer Gantry. Uh, it's a famous, popular book. Uh, during the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Elmer Gantry was the, uh, the embodiment of what most popular preachers are nowadays. Selfish, uh, concerned about himself, not even safe, using the church for his own gain. I originally, it's a, there's a report that I need to do, uh, I needed to do on, on either one of those. Mm -hmm. And I originally started with Elmer Gantry. And uh, I started reading that biography, and I was so sorrowful, uh, you know, and, and, and I needed to stop reading that biography to that point. It got to wow. that point that I stopped reading it. Mm. I was like, okay, I, I can do this. So that's when I picked up uh, Eric Little's uh, biography and, 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 turned out and, and comparing those two lives. Uh, mm -hmm. I was like, Lord, you know, make, don't make me a, uh, don't let me be a gantry. You know, there's a lot of gantries out there. We, the, the church doesn't need another one, you know, uh, make me a Liddell, you know, uh, make me like this man, I, you know, uh, so, yeah, there's, um, uh, the, the, there is that, uh, I think uh, a lot of pastors, uh, and, and there is a lot of uh, godly men, but uh, I think a lot of uh, young pastors, we need to uh, set our, our sight on Christ, first of all, our eyes on Christ, uh, imitate his suffering, be willing to suffer the way he suffered, uh, and just read great biographies like this man and, and imitate the suffering as well, you know, to a point of sacrificing <clears throat> his own family. You know, uh, I saw your face expression when, when, I when I told you that he sent his family to, to Canada. Um, yeah, uh, one of the... Um, um, qualifications is that you ought to care for your family right mm -hmm. um and and yeah there there's some some um debate and there will be an argument to you know the lord says well he who's for uh, who loves his wife his children and right. and even right. his own life is not worthy of being my disciple mm -hmm. uh you know so so you can uh, you, you you have to um uh, you have to really balance things out, uh, really be prayerful, pray and and really know like, okay, should I, is this what the Lord calls me to? Mm -hmm. Or is this what the, uh, what the Lord wants me to do? Uh, am I, uh, but I think the, the, the question or the issue will boil down to how deep is your commitment for Christ? You know? Uh, is it deep enough to, if the Lord calls you, we're not saying that we all have the same call, but mm -hmm. what if the Lord calls you to uh, be a missionary somewhere? Are you willing to do that? Uh, or are you willing to deny uh, your own family? You know, and, mm -hmm. and um, that discussion went on in, in one, of, uh, my, my class, my, one of my classes. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, uh, 
uh, Austin Duncan, which is my, my professor, he says, you know, sadly, uh, the church in America has uh, sissified men so much mm. in Christianity that to think of something that little did uh, to us would be like, oh, never that. You know, as pastors, we shouldn't be like that. We should take care. But really think about it. There was different times, you know. Uh, we if the uh, we so that if the uh, microwave is broken, we we starve ourselves to death, you know. <laughs> or if uh, if this too hot out there, oh, I'm burning to die to them and die dehydrated, <laughs> he, uh, you know. But he says no. Uh, uh, the the whole point boils down in, uh, in your commitment to Christ. Uh, how deep is your commitment to Christ? And, you know, and then I think the church is missing that. Um, yeah. You know, the, and I remember learning from a pastor when I went to a Truth Matters conference mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. He said, and, you know, if, you're, if you want to become a pastor, you really got to think about your wife. It's going to be twice as hard on her, you know, dealing with the home and, and things like that. Yeah. But I do want to uh, finish up talking about just what the gospel is. Can you tell us what the gospel is, Angel? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I read that question and... Uh, I, I, I can give you the, um, what do you call it, the, the, um, what the Bible says about the gospel. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I, I believe that the, uh, the gospel is the power of God mm-hmm. to salvation, for salvation. The gospel is the, the only power that can deliver a sinner from sin. Um, uh, I tell you that because I experienced that. And I tell you that because I see it in other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel, um, it, it is that. It is knowing who you are before Christ. Knowing that without, before God, it is it's knowing that without Christ, uh, the righteousness of Christ, you are a sinner. That God is really angry at you and, and he's actually pointing his arrow towards your face about to let go of it. Daily, not just one single uh, uh, day, but it's daily that is angry at you uh, without Christ. The gospel is that because of Christ, because of the perfect life that he lived uh, and the sacrifice on the cross, because of that, now you have an entrance into the into the Father, and now you can call God your own Father. Yeah. Uh, once you repent, you acknowledge your sin, you you come to Christ. Uh, you you I hate that word accept Christ as your Savior, uh, but you acknowledge that He is the only Savior, mm-hmm. and uh, He makes that transformation in your heart. So, uh, yeah, the gospel is the power of God. It, it saves you. Uh, is God reaching out to you, not of anything special that you have within yourself, but just out of His own mercy, His own grace, changing the heart of stone and, and, and transforming it and giving you a desire to even seek for Him. And then not only uh, giving you the desire, but also the ability or uh, the tools to find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that uh, encompasses the whole gospel. You know, it's God seeking for you, especially transforming your heart so you can be able to uh, accept the message of Christ. Uh, and without God's moving first, you won't be able to um, uh, accept any of his message. Amen. So it summarizes with uh, what John says. Uh, uh, we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that, that would be the, the gospel. Amen. <laughs> well, Angel Silva, thank you yeah. for being on the show today and expressing your heart and telling us your testimony. I really appreciate you joining us today and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right. <laughs>